welcome to the PT Talk, a place where physical therapists can share, grow, and learn. Here is your host, Dr. Karen Schuler. All right, I want to welcome everybody to the show, the Lifestyle PT Talk. Uh, I am your host, Dr. Karen Schuler, and I am here today with Dr. Lance Mabry with High Point University. So, hi, Lance. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Lance, before we get started with our topics, um, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I'm an, uh, an assistant professor at High Point University where I teach in our primary care curriculum, uh, focusing on diagnostic imaging topics and and, uh, differential diagnosis and the like. Uh, I also teach in our professional content, looking at, you know, the APTA, what is a physical therapist, what is a PTA and and similar topics. Uh, My research is focused primarily on physical therapy interaction with diagnostic imaging and, and how that looks in clinical practice. Uh, my background was I, I graduated from U.S. Army Baylor in, uh, oh my goodness, I forget the year. Um, and uh, from there, I went on uh, to a career in the Air Force where I served in Operation Enduring Freedom and Iraqi Freedom. Uh, I wow. retired from the Air Force uh, a couple of years ago, and um, uh, I am a board-certified orthopedic specialist, and I am a fellowship-trained uh, physical therapist through Kaiser Permanente uh, Primary and Manual Care uh, primary care and manual therapy fellowship. Well, as, as a mom of soldiers, um, I certainly appreciate your service, uh, to our country Thank and you. glad that you're using now your unique, um, skill sets to further our physical therapy practice. So we're going to discuss today, um, you know, Lance brings a certain, perspective as far as what it's like to get into PT school and what some of those challenges are. And so we hope to, you know, give you some tools and some tips to make that process a little more effective for you. So Lance, you know, why don't you explain what some of the unique challenges that arise in a, in a doctor of physical therapy admission? Uh, yes, ma'am. So uh, one of the things that's different in DPT admissions versus undergraduate admissions is in a DPT program, we are limited by the number of students we can accept. Uh, That is different than a lot of undergraduate where universities uh, tend to do better financially if they have more undergraduates. So they're they're trying to up their numbers and and improve the number of people that are walking through the door. Um, But on the the DPT side, they're limited by uh, CAPT limitations. So therefore, uh, getting the best qualified candidates into those positions uh, is important. Um, and a lot of that has to do with um, kind of a, a moral obligation, right? We we want students that show up to be successful that will ultimately graduate and, and get the NPTE because uh, we certainly don't want anybody, you know, burdened with student loan debt that that isn't going to be successful. And when we look at the the numbers that are coming out of, of CAPTI, uh, the average physical therapy program gets 254 qualified applicants a year and out of those 254 qualified applicants, only 96 will ultimately get offers. That means that wow. the average program has 160 students or roughly 60% of their applicants are qualified, but won't even get an offer. So um, those are those are some of the challenges we're seeing. Um, uh, that being said, they, they are working well. Um, if you actually look nationwide, uh, the average graduation rate uh, across DPT programs is roughly 97% of students. So that means if you are one of the lucky people to get accepted into PT school, 
uh, your chances of, of matriculating through and ultimately graduating are, are exceptionally high. Well, that's good to know. I know that gives the, the applicant a little more confidence that if they make it through the process, they're going to make it through the program. Can you explain a little bit what CAPTI is? Uh, yes, so uh, CAPTI is the Commission on Accreditation for Physical Therapy Education. Uh, they are the accrediting body for uh, all DPT programs in the United States. So ultimately, they decide um, what criteria need to be met uh, in order for a physical therapy program to, to be accredited in the United States. And can you sit for the boards if you are not part of an accredited program? Uh, I, do, I don't believe you can. So, well, I, I think you can sit for the boards, like if you're a foreign trained PT, uh, there are different criteria that I'm not spun up on. Um, uh, I, we'd have to look at the, the FSBPT website for that. Okay. All right. So which criteria are most predictive of the applicant's success in getting into school? Yeah, so there's there's been a lot of research on this because this is a, a central focus of admissions committees um, throughout the U.S. So um, what they've found of students that will ultimately graduate and then and then pass the NPTE, right? Because if if students graduate but they can't be, pass the NPTE, they can't be a physical therapist. So so looking at the research out there, the two most predictive things of success on the NPTE is undergraduate GPA as well as uh, the GRE scores as far as an admissions criteria. So uh, if you look across programs nationwide, uh, the average GPA uh, per, per capti of, of those getting admitted into PT school is roughly 3.5. Um, so if you're, if you're above a 3.5, you're looking pretty solid. If you're getting below a 3.5, um, things might look tentative depending on where you're applying. Uh, the other criteria, criteria I mentioned was GRE scores. So when you look at the research, uh, they start talking about people that dip below the 30th percentile on any component as tending to have a higher probability of failure of the NPTE. So uh, if, you've taken the, if you've taken the GRE and you're scoring below that 30th percentile, that, that might be a bit of a red flag to programs. Okay. And the 3.5 is... Is that looked at as your total GPA or do they look more at your sciences and those types of things? Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the 3.5 is the overall GPA. Um, when you look at math science GPA, it tends to be a, a little bit lower uh, overall by a couple points. Um, I, they don't report that on the, the CAPD reports that I've seen, um, but, but they do report other things. Like So for instance, and we can talk about this later when we get to uh, where people should apply, but um, public schools tend to have higher GPAs. So uh, those that are getting admitted into public schools, the average GPA is roughly 3.7. Um, for those getting accepted into a private school, it's closer to 3.4. So those with lower GPAs might might consider looking at private school uh, potentially as a, as a better option for them. Um, so math science GPA tends to be uh, a couple points lower. So I, I can speak to my uh, my four years of experience on the admissions committee at High Point University. Um, our math science GPA tends to be about three-tenths of a point lower than the overall GPA for our applicants. Okay. So for those that might be struggling to get into PT school or saying, I don't have that 3.5 GPA, what advice can you give them? 
yeah, that's a great question. So some universities do look at more recent trends in GPA. So if an applicant has, um, you know, a, a borderline GPA, uh, so say maybe a 3.0 to a 3.2 or something like that, um, some universities might look at, you know, what they've done in their junior and senior year versus their freshman year. So if they had a rough freshman year, but a better junior, senior year, uh, that might that might look favorably upon them. It does work obviously the other way, right? So if they had a great freshman year and now they're trailing off in the junior senior year, that can that can reflect negatively also. Um, those students that have that kind of borderline GPA, I'd say that 3.0 to 3.2 range, um, they can always consider retaking some of their uh, their math or science or prerequisite courses if they've scored below a 3.0. Uh, that might be a way to kind of you know, get them right over the edge if they're having a hard time getting into PT school. Um, and I'm saying this from a, from a position of experience as well. So I, I actually applied to PT school uh, my first time and, and did not get in. And then I had to reapply the second year. So I've, I have gone through this process. There's no shame in it. Um, and just understanding what, what hurdles people need to overcome to, to get to where they need to be. Um, if people, however, have a, a GPA that's uh, substantially lower. So let's say they're below a 3.0. Um, when you actually look at the amount of time it would take, so so if somebody has a 2.0 GPA, let's say, um, they would need to take an entire four years of undergraduate level courses at a 4.0 GPA to get back to a 3.0, if you just do the math real quick. So um, there does come a point where retaking a couple of courses is not going to have a substantial impact. And for uh, for those that are facing that, if physical therapy is where they want to be, um, they might want to consider uh, getting enrolled into a, a master's level program. That's a, a separate line item when you look at the um, uh, when you look at the application uh, application the application application when you <laughs> when you look at the application website, uh, graduate. Um, graduate GPA is on a separate line item than undergraduate GPA. So uh, so doing a year of master's work, maybe in a biomechanics position or something like that, um, might look more favorably than doing a, another year of, of retaking of undergrads. Um, some of the other things to consider, uh, obviously we, we mentioned this uh, a few minutes ago, but um, private schools tend to have lower GPA requirements. Um, so because of that, uh, students might consider, or applicants might consider uh, including at least one private school when they are applying to different universities. Um, and as mentioned before, CAPTI shows that the, the average GPA of uh, public schools nationwide uh, enrollees ends up being roughly 3.7 versus those in private schools is 3.4. Um, and then finally, again, for those that are, that are struggling to get in, if, if you have a GRE that's below the 30th percentile, uh, I would suggest, you know, really focusing on a, a good study guide for the GRE and retaking it. Um, that will show the programs that you can be successful on uh, standardized testing because at the end of your PT program, you will take the NPTE, which is a standardized test, and you will have to pass that in order to uh, to be a physical therapist. You brought up some really good points. I, I had really never considered the fact or, or been able to guide um, some of our students towards a master's program. So many people are retaking courses, but that's a great idea uh, to go into a master's program. And that way you're not only just continuing your own knowledge, but maybe setting yourself up for more success and in getting into PT school. So, Yeah. And, and the idea behind that would be for cost effectiveness, right? So if, if you are substantially below and you actually look at how many courses you would need to take or retake 
in order to get that G GPA up. The, the idea is not do more schooling just to do more schooling, but but going to that master's might be a more cost-effective approach than, than just retaking courses over and over. Yeah, that's great. So going, let's talk a little bit about the application process. Um, what role does the interview have on the application? Yeah, so uh, the interview, uh, or, or the interview. Um, some schools interview, um, some schools don't. Um, so if those, if, if you're a student that has a uh, a questionable um, a GRE or a questionable GPA, um, you might want to look for those schools at interview because they might find that some of that face-to-face -face interaction is going to kind of put you over the edge. Um, not a lot of schools are, are doing interviews. Uh, so I know at High Point University, we are. Um, that kind of goes along with uh, the essay, right? So the uh, the essay is part of the PTCAS application. And uh, as we look at that, some of the research that discusses the essay is that it has a, a reasonably negligible role on uh, NPTE success and, and, and ultimately admissions in the program. So, um, so what I would suggest to people that, you know, as they're completing their, their essay, um, they can kind of approach it you know, two different ways. So, you know, as we, uh, as we read these essays, you know, pretty much, uh, I, I would say, I don't know, 90% or more of them read almost the exact same way. And, and they talk about, um, you know, I was an athlete, I had an injury, I got rehabilitated, and my physical therapist was awesome. And, and now here I am. And, and, um, and no shame in that essay. I, I wrote that exact same essay when I got into PT school. I, you know, I broke my, um, I broke my uh, MCP on my right hand playing football. Uh, I ended up, it broke right through the growth plate. So I needed surgery. I saw an occupational therapist afterwards, and then, you know, the rest is history. So, um, so we see a lot of those and, and those kind of essays will blend in. And, and if you're looking to blend in, right, if you have a three, eight, five GPA, uh, blending in might be great for you because you're and you can kind of let your GPA stand by itself and and you can coast to to acceptance. But um, but if you are one of those students that's kind of borderline and you're trying to set yourself apart, um, I would recommend trying to write something a little bit different. And um, you know, I, I I would I would love to see a student sometime you know apply and you know, put a citation in there. You know, if if you want to you know if you want to apply to whatever university, you know, if you want to apply to uh, High Point University, you know, look, look at who's there and oh, we have Dr. Taylor and Dr. Taylor is an ACL expert. And, you know, I tore my ACL and, you know, as you write your, you, as you write your thing about how you injured your ACL, um, you know, drop a little citation by Dr. Taylor in there. So, uh, so if, uh, so the admissions committee, as they're looking at it says, oh, you know, here they did their homework and, and, uh, and they did their homework specifically on people at High Point University and they must, they must really want to come here. So, um, so if you're looking to set yourself apart, that might be a way to do it. That's great. I love I love that because if you're amongst 254 people, you got to find ways to set yourself apart. And I, I know when I was coming through PT school, which was during the dinosaur era 31 years ago, um, if you did shadowing hours, it actually set you apart. And now that's a requirement. So I know you've got to get a little bit more creative in how you're going to set yourself apart now. But I know the biggest thing is, is they want to make sure that you really want to be there and fill that seat. And like you said, you're going to be able to pass that exam and actually be a physical therapist. Um, so let's talk about shadowing hours. You know, how do programs view the shadowing hours? Yeah, so uh, so you bring up a good point on shadowing hours. And I, I think that surround the idea behind it is programs want to make sure that you've actually seen physical therapy and you know what it is before you get into the program. And 
they want to make sure that you are sold that this is in fact a profession for you uh, so that you do once you come in ultimately matriculate through graduate and, and become a physical therapist because we do have a, a limited number of slots and we do have you know demand for physical therapy nationwide we are you know looking to fill other roles as far as you know in treating long covid and things like that so um, so ultimately graduating that student and getting them into the profession is, is the ultimate goal. So, um, so shadowing hours, uh, programs will, will have varying levels of how many hours they want. Um, I've seen anywhere from hundred to 250 hours, depending on the program. Um, some of the things with that is, you know, I'll, I'll see, I'll see applicants that really try to set themselves apart and they'll have, you know, thousands of hours of, of, uh, clinical shadowing hours. And, and that's great. But frankly, there, there comes a point where um, your, your exposure within shadowing hours is it's going to max out. Right. So whether you get, you know, the difference between 250 shadowing hours and, and 2,500 shadowing hours from an applicant standpoint is, is probably negligible. Um, but where people can really set themselves apart, if a, if a program's requiring a hundred hours, make sure that those 100 hours are in at least three different settings and make them distinctly different settings. So what I see each year is uh, applicants will, you know, go to these clinics and, and inevitably, I, I don't know where these clinics are, right? It'll be, you know, XYZ physical therapy, and it's not a, a, a clinic that I'm familiar with. And, and I don't know if it's pediatrics. I don't know if it's orthopedics. I don't know if it's acute care. I, I just don't know what it is. And then under, you know, what clientele they saw in this clinic, they'll put a whole laundry list, right? They'll click the ortho, neuro, pediatrics, sports, like they'll click every box that's available. And it really makes it unclear as far as what setting they're in. So, um, so let me give you an example of that. So, you know, you're in a clinic and you see a 17-year-old um, patient that uh, herniated a disc while they were playing tug of war and now they have a, a lumbar radiculopathy and you watch this patient and then because of that you check off well they're 17 i'm going to check off pediatrics and they're in an orthopedic clinic so i'll check that off and they have back pain and you know and it's a radiculopathy well that's nerve and i'll check out you know check neuro uh, and they did it while playing tug of war so i'll check off sports and then boom just like that you have this whole laundry list of of what you're seeing so um what i would what i would tell applicants is get a breadth of what you're seeing in as far as different clinics, go to an ortho clinic, go to pediatrics, go to a neuro clinic, you know, acute care, home health, things like that. And then when you are actually writing that out on PTCAS, make it very, very, very obvious what that clinic is. So if you are truly at a clinic that sees a diverse patient setting, you know, they're seeing orthopedics one day and they're seeing neuro the next day and whatever else, and you want to check all those boxes, that's great. If that's a generalist clinic and they're, they're seeing a general uh, outpatient uh, schedule, that's fine. But then pick two other clinics that are not a generalist clinic. Maybe it's acute care, maybe it's home health, maybe it's pediatrics or neuro. And then when you fill that box out, make very clearly what, what it is, right? Click that pediatrics box, leave it alone. And then that way, as we're looking at those as committees, we can say, okay, not only do they see a general schedule, not only do they see an outpatient orthopedic schedule, but they also saw these other things. And even after seeing all these different uh, settings, they still want to be a PT, which is important. And, and the reason that this is important as well, when you think about the 
the physical therapist degree. The physical therapist degree is a very broad degree. So even if your interest is, I'm going to go and I'm going to be a sports PT, or I'm going to go be an ortho PT or something along those lines, that's great. But the license will still, it's a broad license. When you graduate, you are still going to be able to practice in any of these settings. You'll be able to practice in pediatrics. You'll be able to practice in, in acute care, home health, everything else, even if you're only interested in sports. So because of that, you need to have enough knowledge in these other settings in order to get the degree. And then once you get the degree, then you can go on and specialize and you know get your board certification like I did or your fellowship training or, or whatever. You can get that depth in whatever that field is you want to you wanna get. Um, but the PT degree is that, that opening amount of breadth that gets you in. Now, when you guys are accepting students, do you take that into consideration at all? I mean, do they tell you what area they're interested in and what they're looking to go into? We do, yes. So we have at High Point University, I think the hours that we require are 100 hours of shadowing. Um, but one of the main criteria we look at is, is breadth of settings. So if, if people have you know, 1,000 hours, but it's only in one setting, they're probably not going to maximize their points. Um, if people have a hundred hours, but they have that, you know, that solid three different settings, it's going to, uh, really separate them out from the pack. But you guys don't look at, well, this person's interested in neuro or this person's interested in orthopedics, which I know that can change in PT school, but you're not trying to, you're not looking at what categories they're interested in when it comes to admission. No, I, I think sometimes that can make for an interesting essay. So if people know that they want to go into pediatrics or they know where they want to go into acute care or things like that, um, that can make for some interesting topics in the essay because that doesn't that doesn't always come forward in the essay. Um, but uh, but no, most I, I would say there's a good number of uh, enrollees that aren't sure what they want to do, and um, and if you actually look, it's it's interesting. First day, you know, you ask. You ask people, you know, oh, well, you know, what setting do you want to work in? And, you know, 80% of people will raise their hand and, you know, I'm, I want to be in sports. I'm going to be the next, I'm going to be the next PT for the Patriots. And, and uh, you know, and then as they go through the program and they get more and more exposed to these different settings, uh, those numbers tend to tend to trickle down. And, and usually by the, by the time people are ready to graduate, you know, instead of 80% of the class, it might be 10% or fewer that are, that are looking at going in sports. So, um, so that's not something that, or that's not something we, at least that we look at uh, internally as far as where people want to go. Let's talk about the number of students that get accepted. Can you speak to how that's regulated? Uh, yes. So CAPTI puts a limit on how many uh, students can go to a, a particular program. So, and they they do that as part of the accreditation process in order to um, make sure that a program has the adequate number of faculty, that the program has the adequate resources and everything else. They they really do it to protect the students. So um, now a program can go over that cap by a certain percent. Uh, so so for instance, we at High Point University we are uh, accredited for sixty spots. Um, in a particular year, we can go upwards of 10% of that 60. So, uh, you know, we might be able to get to 66 in a particular year. Um, uh, but then programs can't do that consistently because then that, that starts raising some red flags. So um, so programs are, are capped. So um, looking at as well, the number of uh, qualified applicants, those that are getting, getting offers and then those that will ultimately matriculate. You know, we talked about before the, uh, the number of the number of applicants is roughly 254 
per program. Uh, the numbers accepted is in the, the low 90s. Um, and then the numbers that matriculate end up being roughly in the, the mid 40 range. So there are a couple of things to take from that, right? So one we talked about before was, you know, the 60 or so percent of students that are qualified that will not get an offer, um, have done everything right, have the right GPA, have the right GREs, have the shadowing hours, but yet they still can't get an offer. Um, but the other side of that is, is the number of, uh, offers that go out versus the number that will ultimately matriculate. So uh, if you look at those numbers, um, roughly for every two offers that are made, one student will actually show up. So uh, the other students might go on to a different PT program, or they might just not choose physical therapy at all. Maybe they do something else. Um, those numbers have changed a little bit the last two years. We're, we're seeing a uh, a reduction in the number of applicants um, and the number of qualified applicants uh, over the last couple of years. Um, it hasn't reached a point where it's been super impactful, but uh, I think that number is a little bit higher now. So I think there's roughly uh, three students will get an offer for every one that's admitted. Can you speak a little bit more to that? What are the things that you're seeing that um, is keeping them from meeting the criteria? I mean, is it something basic like a course or is are, are there other items? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a, um, I, I think it's more coming from a, a place of there are fewer and fewer undergraduate college students. So because there are fewer undergraduate college students, that lends to fewer qualified applicants. Um, that's been a trend nationwide across uh, all professions. So, so as fewer students choose to go undergraduate, which is where many of these students ultimately discover physical therapy, it's it's fascinating. So, uh, so I know myself. I I injured myself playing football in in eighth grade, and that's kind of where I found my passion for physical therapy. Um, but as we're interviewing people, a lot of people that we we talk to, you know, discover it their you know sophomore year, junior year, even sometimes their senior year of college. Um, so if they're not in college to begin with, then that's obviously they're not going to find a path, a path there. Um, and then obviously as the fewer and fewer people we get going through undergraduate, uh, now it becomes more competitive to get them. So now you have not only physical therapy programs fighting over them, but then also, uh, you know, some other related fields, you know, medicine or, or PA or NP or things like that, um, might be fighting, you know, athletic training might be fighting for these candidates as well. So it is, it is becoming a more, uh, competitive environment. And, and hopefully it doesn't get to the point where we don't have enough qualified applicants to, to fill programs. But, um, but as of right now, it, it's, it's getting more competitive than, than it has been in previous years. And going back to the number of slots that you get as far as um, through your accreditation. So that's not really determined based on need in the workforce environment. It's just based on if a program decides to take on physical therapy, what their program can handle. Is, is that how it yes, goes? Ma'am. Yeah. So it's, it's not related to need in the workforce. And, and I think that CAPT is limited to the number of new PT programs that can be established in any given year. And I, I think I want to say it's one to two programs a year can be added. Um, so it's not like it's not like 20 programs can start a PT program tomorrow. Um, and then, so essentially once those programs establish how many people they can take, you know, CAPT will look at, you know, how many faculty, which, what kind of resources, and then they'll, they'll credit them that way. Uh, one of the articles that came out of ACAPT the other day, I, I figure what ACAPT stands for, but it's the, something like the Academy of, of Academic Physical Therapists uh, out of the APTA. Uh, they wrote an article uh, a couple of weeks back based off of the 
uh, APTA uh, workforce data. And essentially what the workforce data shows that uh, in the next couple of years, I want to say in the next 20 years, we're going to have a, uh, a, these numbers might not be perfect. I don't have them on top of my head, but it's something like in the next 20 years, we're going to have a, a 10% surplus in physical therapists nationwide. So what that means is for every 10 jobs, we will have 11 PTs. Now that's not the environment we're facing now, right? Yeah. So right, right now, uh, the environment is if you graduate from a physical therapy program and get your, your get your, you know, you pass your NPTE and get licensed, um, you know, uh, employment rates like ninety nine percent. So if if you if you are a physical therapist, uh, and, and you can probably attest to this as well. Uh, you're getting job offers and job inquiries all the time. People are are always trying to find you and always trying to to, to take you and, and plug you into a role. There's there's more jobs than there are physical therapists. Um, now the alarm bells have gone off through ACAPT and other and other things um, because there is going to be a surplus. And and some are viewing this as a negative thing. I'm I'm honestly viewing this as a as a positive thing. Um, I look at uh, you know when I worked in various clinics uh, such as you know when I was at Travis Air Force Base and things like that. Um, the number, the, the types of patients we saw depended on how many physical therapists we had. So, um, there were times that we had, we were very short staffed, you know, if people went to combat or things like that, and we only had two physical therapists, uh, we had to take our most acute patients at that time. And there were times that we were only taking post-operative ortho patients. We were only taking patients that have already gone underneath the knife and no one else, um, because we just, we didn't have the manpower to do it. And then as we got more and more manpower, then we were able to expand out. You know, now we can take, you know, people that don't, that aren't post-op and now we can take people that are over 65 and now we can take, you know, these different clientele. And then, you know, as our manpower even got better and better, that's when we were able to spread out and have physical therapists in the emergency department or have physical therapists, you know, embedded in, in primary care clinics. I think that's what we're going to see going forward with physical therapists is, you know, as we come into a surplus position, you're going to see physical therapists filling needs in primary care clinics, filling needs in emergency rooms. Uh, there are primary care uh, residencies that are popping up all the time. I think there's one being worked in a VA up in, up in Minnesota. I know there's another primary care physical therapy residency in Palo Alto, California, um, so that's going to be the future, but we can't get there if we can't even, if we don't have enough PTs to even see our post-operative patients, we can't expand into these other roles. I can totally see that happening as a business owner. You know, I know so many businesses that cannot, that want to grow and expand and have the demand for patients, but they can't find the physical therapist to fill the position. So I do think what you're going to see, and maybe it even results in, you know, lower volume clinics versus, um, you know, therapists having to see so many patients at one time. Of course, reimbursement goes along with that as well. But sometimes it's just the workforce need you know, that you're seeing a lot of patients in the day, like you said, because you're the only physical therapist there to, you know, to treat them. So I agree. Oh, yeah. I, th I think there are a lot of positives and, and probably won't wind up being as much of a surplus just because of the way we're growing and expanding as a profession. Well, you've given us a lot uh, to think about, and I think some really good tips that I've never thought about that hopefully the students listening um, are, are writing them down and will be able to add to their application when they apply to physical therapy school. But you are from High Point University, so I'd like for you to just tell us a little bit more about your program. Oh, well, yeah, thank you so much. Um, uh, one of the reasons I, I came to High Point University is 
Uh, High Point University has been ranked number one uh, school in the South for 10 consecutive years by U.S. News. And, you know, when I when I looked at um, coming into academia, I really wanted to go to a school that that is looking to be the best and, and looking to. Um, to not just be a mediocre school and, and, you know, being ranked number one by us news 10 consecutive years is, uh, is, is just an impressive feat. Um, I would argue that we have the best PT facilities in the nation for those that have, that have seen them. It's, it's, uh, quite shocking. We have a human performance lab, uh, that is huge. We have a, um, uh, we have a gate analysis lab and virtual reality lab where patients can essentially, uh, work on different, uh, gate styles in a in a virtual reality computer game setting that that allows them to do it safely. Um, so I, I think we have the best facilities in the nation on top of being the number one school in the South. Uh, some of our focuses at High Point University is we we really try to look at pushing the boundaries of of physical therapy. So uh, we're not focused as much as on making purely entry level physical therapists. We're really looking at making people. Uh, exp- exceptional physical therapists. So they're going to go on and be experts in the field and truly be leaders in uh, in our profession. So a couple of things we do to, to do that, uh, we actually have a dual MBA program where uh, as you're going through physical therapy school, you can obtain your, your MBA uh, during the exact same time frame. I think it's only ex- one extra course a semester or something like that. Um, so those that are looking at being business owners or those that are looking at, um, you know, being rehab directors or things like that and going up the chain as far as leadership, um, this will really propel them in that direction and, and help get them, you know, some of the higher paying uh, salaries in the area. Um, the Clinically, we're focused on uh, primary care. So I teach in the primary care curriculum. We have 60 hours of uh, contact hours in diagnostic imaging. When you look at uh, the nationwide average is closer to 24. So we're really kind of pushing that primary care focus. Um, within our curriculum, we're talking about differential diagnosis. You know, is this back pain or is this cancer? And when our when our students graduate, they're not just going to be standing in a gym and counting to 10, right? So every every single program in the nation is going to tell you how to stand in the gym and count to 10. That's, that is the lowest bar that you can expect. But here you're going to be finding cancer here. You're going to be finding, you know, which patients have abdominal aortic aneurysms and, you know, you're going to be uh, finding these things, routing them for the care they need, for the imaging they need, for the labs they need. Um, and that makes us really proud of, of where we're going as a profession. Cause that is the future. We are doctorally trained neuromusculoskeletal experts. We're not personal trainers. And that is the, the future of our profession is to get into these roles. Some of the other things that make us unique is our pain science curriculum, uh, as well as our focus on the social determinants of health. Uh, we have a lot of community interactions with our pro bono clinics, working with uh, underserved populations, those that uh, either are underinsured or don't have healthcare uh, insurance at all. Um, so we have a full-time pro bono clinic that addresses those things, um, and we're seeing uh, we're seeing patients come from all over the, all over the region. And and frankly, uh, a lot of our patients are um, from all over the world. So we have patients that are coming in with, with all sorts of different uh, backgrounds and, and uh, languages. And and it's really fascinating to, uh, to see the diversity of, of patients we have uh, in the clinic. 
Well, that sounds like a great program. So uh, I hope everybody took a lot of good notes and I hope that you'll consider High Point University as one of your uh, places that you will apply to. And Lance, I just want to thank you for your time. This, this information is invaluable. I mean, how many times do you get to talk to the person that's actually part of the admissions committee? So uh, I really hope that everybody heeds your advice and uh, that they'll, they'll themselves get into physical therapy school as a result. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. And uh, we hope everybody will join us the next time. If you want to follow Lifestyle Physical Therapy, you can find us on social media at Lifestyle PT2. I know Lance is on LinkedIn. You can see some of his comments there, and I'm on LinkedIn as well. Feel free to send in uh, any questions that you have at uh, LifestylePT at BellSouth.net. Thank you, and until next time. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Make sure to follow us at Lifestyle PT2 on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can also listen to past podcasts on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.